This is an ABC podcast. Hi, I'm Steph. I am a facilitator and team coach, and this is my daily routine. 5.05, alarm goes off, hit snooze. 5.15, finally get up. 5.25, journal. 6 a.m., do some work. Uninterrupted. 8.30, team meeting. 9 o'clock onwards, Between 12 o'clock and 1 o'clock is when I will first touch my phone. Food, a walk, a nap, bit of life admin, some meal prep, some creativity. 6 o'clock, dinner time. 7.30 to 8 is pre-bed prep. So a routine helps us to understand what to expect in the day or in the morning or however often we set those routines. So what it does, it reduces our stress or anxiety and allows us to know what's to come. A lot of the times when we're feeling stress, we're feeling a bit out of sorts, it's because we don't know what to expect. So setting up a routine gives us a form and sets a clear expectation of what's to come and allows us to free up some of our thinking to think about more complex things and reduces that stress in the process which sounds particularly helpful when you're trying to perform your best at work in these stressful times, right? I'm Lisa Leong, and today on This Working Life, we're digging deep into routines and rituals, what works and why, for both individuals and teams. Here's Dr Sean O'Connor from Sydney University's Coaching Psychology Unit again. Routines are neither positive or negative. They can be good for us or they can be bad for us. So you can have unhealthy routines or healthy routines. The trick is thinking about what's important to us, setting goals, and then routinizing our working life around those. So, for example, if um, you're trying to create healthy relationships in a team, for example, you want to have positive communications with that team that help you understand how they are personally and what their personal goals are. But we can get stuck in the mundane, every day-to-day process of our working lives and forget to connect. So if we try and habituate that connection by setting our own goals around creating positive relationships with others in our team in some way, and maybe we set a certain time in the week or time in the day where we put aside some time to enable us to connect in that way, what that does over time is that helps us to build habits and rituals around how we connect with others, which creates positive relationships, which will spill into effects around performance and well-being for the longer term. So if I wanted to connect better with my team, can you give me a specific example of a routine that would do that? So when we're really busy and our minds are full, routines help us put aside some of the anxiety to focus on some of the bigger picture stuff that we might need to account for. So one of the things about building quality relationships with others in the workplace is that we don't have to only connect on the work that we do, but we also have to connect personally as well. Now, this to keep this embedded in the workplace, you might want to become familiar with, say, the key strengths that people have and the things that they enjoy about work and also some of their personal goals or ambitions. These are the things that motivate people. They uh, give them purpose in the work that they do and they enhance their performance and well-being while they're working. So if you, as a leader or someone working with a team, wanted to create more positive connections in this way, it's about paying attention to the things that they're passionate about, Mm. that um, get them excited and get them motivated, and then integrating that into some of the conversations, being truly curious or inquisitive about what drives people and what makes them tick. By having conversations around that, we create higher levels of relatedness, and that's been shown to have significant impacts, both our well-being and the well-being of those that we're connecting with. 
So as an example of that, um, you know, knock-off drinks on a Friday, now with remote and flexible working, what would a replacement routine be? Under the current sort of situation when we're all distanced and we're all sort of working remotely and we're using video conferencing to connect with each other a lot more, it's important to find new routines or rituals or habits that we can form together in the new sort of environment that allows us to connect on a personal level. Because we are booking meetings, it tends to push us into thinking about work only, but people come to work as whole people. Even if they're in, in their own bedrooms or in their office spaces at work, they're still whole people. So we need to think about what motivates them. So maybe not jumping straight into a meeting, maybe having some time to reflect, having some time to interact, apportioning some time to just connect with people on a more social or personal level, particularly those in your team that you have to work with a lot can help bring out some of those passions and desires that they might have or some of their personal goals and also create opportunities for conversations that can help support them in the current challenges that they might be faced with. And so I'm hearing that building a routine, it helps if it it becomes like a habit because if it's attached to something like a meeting, just doing something either before or after, it's like stacking the habits together so that they're always attached. Yeah, that's right. So forming new habits takes quite a long time and there's lots of different research that sort of suggests a number of different ranges of occurrences that are required in order to form a new habit. One of the tricks to forming new habits, though, is to connect them to things that are already occurring. So if you're having a regular meeting on a Tuesday or Wednesday with a certain team, then integrating some form of ritual or process in there that helps people connect whether it's around random conversations in breakout rooms with each other or it's around having a key question for people to bring their issues, concerns or some of the key things that's excited them for that week into the conversation, then that's a way of creating a habit much quicker. One example, in an organisation I was working with many moons ago, I had an executive who was having a lot of difficulty having to run from meeting to meeting. One of the things that they did is they would habitually add an item to the agenda of that meeting, which was five to 10 minutes of reflection. Now, they used that to create a mindfulness moment in their own sort of practice so they could get focused on what they needed to get out of the meeting and also reflect on how they needed to show up. This allowed them to bring a different sort of mentality to that process or that meeting, which ended up leading to the meetings become much more efficient. And they ended up putting this as part of the process across much of the business over time because people really enjoyed that additional thinking time for preparation because they were so busy and running from meeting to meeting. Oh, I love that example. So, Sean, I was reading a book on creativity at work and it actually said kill the routine because, quote, routine is devastating to our curiosity, unquote. Now, I was quite intrigued by this because my personal experience is the opposite. Mm. I feel like my routines drive my creativity. But what's your reaction to that? Yeah, it's funny because I had a, quite a visceral reaction as soon as you said it. Um, it seems to be oversimplifying the relationship between thinking, creativity and innovation and the sort of thought process we go through when new ideas come to us. So in terms of routines and creativity, what a routine or a habit does, it helps us to regulate a lot of the normal stuff that goes on that could be getting in the way. So if you have a regular routine about how you're getting ready in the morning, then you don't have to think about that. What that does then is that actually gives you an opportunity to reflect 
in a more open way, that creates more of an opportunity for innovation. A lot of the time that we come up with ideas, it's after the processing has occurred. So innovation and and creativity is sort of an area of interest for me. And much of the creativity that emerges comes after we've put a lot of the hard work in. So we do that thinking and then we routinize our process in some way so we don't have to use our brain space to think about what's going on in the everyday world. And then we've got more space in our brains to make new connections, put new ideas together and be more creative. Hi, my name is Susie Hopkins and I have a really particular routine. One of the main reasons is so that I can get up before my son, who's five, and he wakes pretty early. So I get up at 10 past five and I'm woken gently by a light. And the idea is that I get to meditate before he wakes up. And after that, I get my journal out and I always do a gratitude practice of writing down three things that I'm grateful for and plan my day. And in the evening, I also meditate then and I also get my journal out and I write down the three things that I'm grateful for. And then I read by a lamp, which I clip onto my Kindle and that's got no blue light in it so that it helps me go off to sleep early. And I have found that having this routine has really helped me be much more focused and specific in terms of tasks and how I spend my day, which when you parent solo is really important. Can routines ever go bad? Uh, They surely can. Routines, they're not positive or negative. They're just like habits that we get into that are systemized and come naturally to us. So if we have a, a bad habit or a bad routine around when we get home from work, the first thing we do is we open the fridge and eat a bar of chocolate. That's not going to be good for us for the longer term. Might be okay for the short term, <laughs> maybe not for the longer term. So I think one of the things that we really have to think about is what routines have we fallen into already? Are they helping us or are they hindering us? And this is really about this idea around the cycle of self-regulation and how we're regulating our own behavior. So I think we need to check in with the habits that we've formed and the things that we do regularly that have become routine and ask, are they helping us to our higher level goals? Are they supporting us in our performance? Are they creating positive impacts on our well-being? But having that reflective process on how we're going and what we're doing and what we're habituating is key to our own personal development. So if you've got a broad, high-level goal around creating more innovation in the workplace, now ask yourself, what are the routines in the working week that allow for that to happen in my team or in, with the people that I'm working with? Is there space for adaptive thinking? Are we open to ideas? How can I habituate some positive processes around how we manage meetings, work with each other, question processes that help us move more closely to that positive goal? Now, we often find that inadvertently the things that we have to do on a day-to-day basis that might be mundane in the workplace are actually becoming barriers to some of the goals that we hold for ourselves or for our team. And if I wanted to start a new routine in the helpful category, how long would I try it to sort of bake it in, Sean? Mm, Yes. So this is tricky. In the research, there's been lots of debate around this. The idea of 21 days has been thrown around a lot, but that research around creating new habits in 21 days mostly is related to very simple behavior change. Mm. They've talked about different ranges from 18 to 256 days. 
So really complex routines or complex habits are going to take a long time to form and habituate and get into the process where they become automatic. Now, if we want to uh, create a new routine that's positive, think about the ones that already exist. How can we attach a small change, a little bit of a correction or an association with what we already do, and then we're able to form a habit or positive routine at a much faster rate? And when we're looking at routines that already exist, how do we know what works for us? Because obviously copying and pasting somebody else's routine, it might not work for us. Yes, uh, that's true. So everyone's individual. We all have our own sort of strengths, values, and goals that help to drive us in the direction we want to move towards. So I think having that regular self-reflection around how is this contributing to my higher purpose or the things that I value or improving my life in some way helps us to adapt the things that we're doing already. So trying to translate someone else's habit or routine into our own lives often won't work because we have a different set of values or a different set of drivers. Sean, do you have a morning routine? I have a five-year-old, so there are no routines. <laughs> no, um, look, I like to have a routine around getting ready for work, getting ready in the morning, having my coffee, sitting down at my computer or my desk, which was the same when I was in the office, and then I go through the three core things that I want to get out of today. I have a separate to-do list that I create and things get added to it all the time. But each morning I go through that to-do list and I pick out those three things. What that does, it gives me sort of an attainable goal for the day that says as long as I get these three things done, then I'm successful. And what's interesting about your routine of picking three goals for the day, Sean, is the absence of something. It's the absence of you checking your emails as the first thing that you do when you sit down. Tell us about that. So, yeah, I mean, technology is great around habituating us inadvertently. Mm. I think we have to take it really a lot of mental effort to try and put it aside, move it away. So I do do my to-do list and my three goals for the day on paper rather than on the computer because I know how easily the emails can draw me in. I also, and I'm good at this sometimes, and then it falls off the cart a little bit and then I get back on it, is scheduling specific times in the day to focus on email and just pound through it, get it over and done with, and then focus on some of the bigger picture, important work that I need to do. Super helpful. Thank you, Sean. No worries. Dr. Sean O'Connor, Director of Sydney University's Coaching Psychology Unit. So we heard there from Sean about how to create a healthy routine and how long it can take for it to stick but where do you start? Kate Christie is the founder and CEO of Time Stylers. Here are her tips on how to make a healthy and sustainable routine. When it comes to locking in a fantastic routine and making it really sticky, the best way is to start with your goals. What are your five-year goals? What's your 12-month goals? What do you need to do in the next six months or the next one month? So identify exactly what it is you're chasing after. Next, Create a really smart to-do list, a list which includes everything that you need to achieve or every task you need to perform to achieve that goal. Identify the two most important things that you want to do tomorrow to get you started on that process. Then you're going to want to lock them into your calendar as a deadline. If you don't lock in a deadline, then the task will expand to fill the time made available for it. That's Parkinson's law. 
So leverage Parkinson's law by locking in a deadline. Now, if you're a morning person, you want to do those highly strategic, interesting, important, impactful, two most important things around when you have your highest energy. So as a morning person, obviously that's the morning. So lock that into your calendar every single morning. Color code it, maybe red or some sort of bright color so that you know that that's the time then you're going to work on those two steps or those two parts that are going to get you towards your goal. Every single day, revisit your to-do list, lock in the two most important things for the next morning that are going to get you towards your goal. And you are creating a fantastic sustainable routine. Now, to make it sticky, you really need to give yourself about three or four weeks of just consistently doing this. And what you're going to see is once the routine starts working for you and you can tweak it along the way, but once it starts working for you and becomes sticky, you're going to really gain momentum. And that in itself is going to be really, really motivating. There's nothing better than a fantastic routine. You're listening to This Working Life. I'm Lisa Leong, and we're talking about routines and rituals and how they can help our productivity and well-being. And we've heard a little bit about routines. So what is a ritual? Now, usually we connect ritual with a religious ceremony or an action, but there's a lot we can get out of everyday secular rituals, as our next guest can explain. Casper Takal is a Harvard Divinity School fellow and author of The Power of Ritual, Turning Everyday Activities into Soulful Practices. Hi, Casper. Hey, Lisa. Thanks for having me on the show. So when you discuss rituals in your book, what are you talking about? What constitutes a ritual? So I'm really interested in practices that help us orient around the things that matter most in our lives, connecting with each other, with the natural world, with our deepest self, uh, and even with a sense of transcendence. Um, But like you said, not starting with something that's overly complex or, or something overly religious per se, but starting with the things that we already do every day and adding in a layer of meaning so that they become kind of an anchor in our lives to to orient ourselves around what matters most. To give us an idea of what you're talking about, can you share your routines, maybe your morning and wind down rituals and how you find meaning in them? Yeah, absolutely. So they can really be as small as, you know, when when I'm putting on moisturizer in the morning, for example, uh, I'll say to myself, you know, today is going to be a day of joy and suffering, just like any other. Uh, And it's just a reminder that, you know, both that everything will pass, but that there'll be highlights and lowlights in the coming day. Um, or you think about people maybe at the end of the day, if they're, if they're keeping a journal or, or sharing with a partner, you know, what was something that you were grateful for today? What, what's something that you uh, learned about today? And one of the things that's really most important for me is at the end of the work week on Friday night, I turn off my phone and I turn off my laptop and I hide them in my bookshelf so I don't get tempted. Uh, And then for the next 24 hours, I I take a tech Sabbath uh, and I really try and, and keep that because it's one way in which I can make space in my life for some of the things that are, you know, the most satisfying, but the most difficult to do. Often creative things like, you know, maybe it's writing a poem or drawing a picture or, or singing, um, things that I really love to do, but, but it can be hard to do when you're distracted by so many things like, you know, the emails and the Twitter notifications. Why did you decide to translate that one in particular, the idea of Sabbath? For many of us, it feels like we're, we're living in a culture that is always pushing us towards more and better and faster. And it's exhausting. You know, it's not good for our mental well-being. It's not good for our spiritual well-being. 
and it, it leads to burnout. And we can't just rely <laughs> on our own capacity to not check the email. At least I know that I can't, right? Um, so we need some kind of hard and fast boundaries. Um, and that's in some way what the Sabbath was always for. And I was really drawing on, on the Jewish tradition of Shabbat and especially the work of Abraham Joshua Heschel, a wonderful 20th century theologian uh, and rabbi who writes about the Sabbath not just as a pause from the work week, right? That it's, that it's a time of recharging or or resetting, but that actually the work week is for the Sabbath, so that our time of rest is what it's all about. And he describes it, you know, when when you kind of step into that Sabbath time, it's like entering into a palace in time. We have a little taste of heaven, using his language, mm-hmm. um, when, when we enter Sabbath time. And so, for me, it was a really great way of, of building a bit of a break of, of the kind of always on, right, answer emails late at night work culture that we have. And then this this kind of 24 hours of real rest and space in which comes, you know, often the most creative ideas and interesting thoughts that we have that make our lives and our work meaningful. And how does it work? So it's sundown on a Friday. What happens? Okay, Lisa, now this is where when you describe these things, it's really easy to laugh. So I'm going to trust you here. Uh, <laughs> the way the way that I practice it is that I literally turn off my phone on my, my laptop, hide them, and then I light a candle and I sing a little song to myself standing there in the, in the living room uh, that I learned in summer camp. And It's so important that we add these kind of physical elements, uh, whether it's listening to music or reading a poem or, or, you know, smelling incense, something that helps us focus our attention on this ritual moment where something changes. And for me, it feels like when I'm, when I'm lighting that candle, it's like crossing a bridge from one way of being into another way of being. So it's, it's cr- crossing from work time to Sabbath time. And the reason why so many religious traditions have all of these intricate and interesting rituals is that they're ways of helping our mind and body move that kind of way of being from, from one way to another. So once I've, sta- you know, I've stood there Hang with on my a candle. Casper, at- um, yeah. what is your summer camp song? Can you just sing me a line? <laughs> I knew this question was coming, Lisa, and I shouldn't have told you. Come <laughs> so on. I, I, I grew up, uh, my parents are both Dutch, so it's in Dutch. But I'll give you that translated. I mean, it's it's just a little goodnight song. So it's a song that says goodnight to the sun, you know, that we give thanks for the day and that its golden rays are disappearing, you know, <laughs> over the horizon. But I'll spare you my singing voice. <laughs> but the, the, the point is that we all, you know, have, whether it's a little song or or maybe it's a a, a quote that we love, just anything that helps us remember the intention of of putting our work to one side. That's really the purpose of these rituals is, is that they kind of create a boundary in time. So when do we then turn our devices back on? Yeah. So you're exactly right. If you're going to have a ritual to come uh, uh, into that time, you need a ritual to come out of that time. So what I do to kind of help me accountable through that day is I keep my little candle on, unless I'm sleeping, of course, when I I blow it out, but I turn it back on in the morning. um, And then at the end of the Sabbath time, I blow out the candle. Um, And again, in in Jewish tradition, there's a beautiful ceremony around this called Havdalah. And in fact, in, in Jewish tradition, you hold on one more hour than the full day. So the Sabbath actually is 24 five hours long. But for me, the way I practice it is is I just blow out the candle and that's the moment when, you know, when you can put the tech back on. Now, here's an interesting point. Now, you're not actually religious, are you? You're secular, right? 
Well, yes. I mean, I, I don't attend a congregation. You know, if you ask me what religion are you, I, I would say, you know, nothing in particular. But I think I am, like so many people, kind of consciously mixing different parts of, of my experience. So I grew up in England where, you know, you can't escape the kind of Anglican culture, but I went to these summer camps in Holland, right, where I learned that song. <laughs> I've, I've been really influenced by lots of Jewish friends and, and learning here in the US. So I kind of have a bit of mix and match. And that's something we're seeing more and more that people either grew up in an interfaith home or they're, you know, they have a yoga practice, but they use a meditation app, but they also go home for Christmas, right? So more and more are kind of constructing a sort of meaning-making life or a spiritual life, you might say, of these different pieces put together that don't fit into one obvious religious box. Casper DeKyle, a Harvard Divinity School fellow and author of The Power of Ritual, Turning Everyday Activities into Soulful Practices. Next week in our series, Performing in a Pandemic, we're going to hear from the author of Indistractable, Near Isle, on how to control technology, not let it control you while you work. This episode of This Working Life was produced by Zoe Ferguson. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next week, keep working. Oh, so there's just so much there, Casper. You've got to sing your song. <laughs> oh, I've got to sing my song. All right, I'll sing it for you. All right, I'm going to stop recording just so you don't have it. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.